Hello, everybody. Welcome to my Boomer Buddies podcast. We're old friends telling it like it was and is. Uh, listen in as we cover various topics and share our Boomer thoughts, experiences, and personalities <clears throat> while mercilessly giving each other the business. I am so excited today. Uh, we're doing a spotlight on one of my Boomer Buddies, Quincy Stringham. I have self-labeled him the ultimate baby boomer. Welcome, Quincy. Tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how we got to know each other. Uh, hi, Rick. I'm calling you from uh, Chicago, where I, where I live in downtown Chicago. And uh, I see I'm in the basement of my house that was built in 1886 with all the problems that come with that and all the good things that come with that. So uh, I know it looks like I'm in the bowels of a of the Titanic, but it's really just my basement man cave. So, uh, and uh, yeah, Rick and I have known each other. I was what, probably since like 19, mid nineties, right? It's right in there, I would think. Yeah, late late nineties, yeah. Late nineties, yeah. And then I walked up to him at the, uh, is for the record board game booth at the basement of the Javits Center and this rock and roll trivia game. And because considering myself somewhat of an expert on the subject, I couldn't help but stand there and kind of look and see what he was doing. I was a sale, had a sales rep business located out of Salt Lake City, which is where I lived at the time. And um, so I just stood there and watched and uh, eventually Rick saw me lurking there and, and, and asking people questions as they sauntered by and try to get their attention and ultimately to buy his game to carry in their stores. And he kind of said, he said to me, uh, shall I, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And he asked me a piece of uh, rock and roll trivia. And I answered the question. He says, okay, can I ask you another one? He said, I said, okay. He asked me uh, another one. I answered it. And this went on for, I don't know, half dozen, six, seven questions. And I answered all the questions and I said, well, when he's going to get to the hard ones, you know, and, and, uh, and finally he looked at me, he says, who the hell are you? <laughs> and how do you know all this stuff? And I said, well, I you're just, pretty good. You're pretty good. I said, well, I know, I know several things. I know about, I know about baseball and I know about rock and roll and I know about toys. And uh, so here I am. That's, that's what I do. I just happen to know all, all these things. Yeah. And, uh, and so we talked, he says, and what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I have a sales rep business that covers all the seven intermountains, intermountain States. And, he says, in other words, you sell toys to the stores. I said, that's what I do. He says, I said, and he, Rick said, you and I need to talk. So uh, so we talked and I ended up uh, coming on board and selling his his game in our firm and around the around the those, those big square states out west that people back east don't think anybody actually lives in, but people actually do live there and uh, and they bought his game. And, uh, and then I even took it on the road with me. I was doing some operational work with a uh, with a uh, uh, rolling review of um, rock and roll review of Buddy Holly, Richie Valens and the Big Bopper that traveled all cross country and I spent a lot of time in the Midwest. And I, I actually took I was one of the things I was in charge of was all the merchandising for the operation. And so I included the for the record board game in our uh, merchandise booth. And, you know, I, you know, we we'd we'd sell you know reasonable amount you know and and every time we'd come through we came through minnesota every year and rick would always rick and sharon would drive over to what was it um st cloud st cloud and mm -hmm. uh and resupply me with that so there was free shipping <laughs> so bring him over to the trunk of his car in the in the middle of january and say, here and you we, go we'd get yeah and we'd get to watch the show the and winter you, dance and we, party and we let you in free i'm sure right i hope 
Absolutely, and yeah, we I helped think, you at the yeah. table a little bit. Too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Tried to you know move some games. So yeah, so we've had a you know, and we've just stayed in touch. That was in the between two thousand and two thousand eight. And then uh, yeah. yeah, we've stayed in touch. You know, we kind of had a dry spell where we didn't get you know we didn't kind of. I I got remarried and moved to Chicago from Salt Lake City, and uh, and uh, then we got in touch just a few years ago again. You know, and just uh, checked in to make sure. That's how we were doing, and, and here we are today. So, yeah, now I call you the ultimate baby boomer, and the listening and viewing audience might go, Well, now why is he the ultimate baby boomer? Well, first of all, you grew up, you're from the uh, tier one of the baby boomers. You right. were born between 1946 and 54. Yeah. And I'm second tier, 1955 to 1964. So, you were cutting edge. You were in the cutting edge uh, generation of the baby boomers. Right. And, and you have a lot of great memories. You can talk to me and I'm, I know most of what you're talking about and I can talk to you and you know what I'm talking about, what we yeah. went through and, you know, cars, sex and rock and roll was right. basically our era. Right. right. And uh, so I look up to you in many respects. Uh, you are, a musician you've been a musician for years correct right right uh, you you sent me a couple of t-shirts from the band when you were out in in uh, utah the gray dogs and it's the best t-shirt i ever had i wore holes through both of them <laughs> and and you are still playing music in the right. chicago area right a country band, now. Called, a band called the lonesome whippoorwills which you may think is a terrible name for a band but it's actually a line from uh, i'm so lonesome i could cry by hank williams yeah, and our, yeah. our music basically starts about at Hank Williams and goes forward to, you know, uh, Chris Stapleton or whoever the current, you know, whatever. So we have a, at a 50, 60 year spread. And if somebody wants us to play the Stones or Tom Petty or whatever, we can do that because we've all played since we were 12 years old and, you know, pretty much played most of the genres over the years. And we've just kind of settled on this kind of uh, mishmash of, you know, country flavored rock and, and country is because it's fun. But, kind of, but we do have a definite twang factor. Yeah. So so Quincy is the ultimate baby boomer just be, by experience. And I'm jealous because he is still a musician and plays. I've always wanted to be a musician, but I'm not. Um, so I'm kind of jealous. And the other thing is Quincy actually did something that I tell people I did, but I didn't really. He <laughs> I was 12 years old in 1969, and I tell people I went to Woodstock. Quincy actually did go to Woodstock, and it's a great story how you were able to go. Do you care sharing that with the listeners and viewers, Quincy? Sure. sure. Great story. Sure. Um, I was uh, just finished my sophomore year in college, and um, in, I grew up in, in the uh, suburbs of New York City. It was about 150 miles from Woodstock or from Bethel, which is where it was held. So it was just over the mm -hmm. Hudson River and just upstate a little ways. So it wasn't very far away, really. And, uh, uh, you know, this, the rumors started coming down that this, this event was happening. And, you know, a bunch of my friends and I said, oh, this would be cool. We should go to this. And, you know, eventually, you know, it was first it was on, then it was off, then it was on, and it was in a different place. And we didn't have really any hopes that it was actually going to happen. And, and then eventually they started advertising on the local top 40 stations and they had tickets available. So the other 
most of the guys just kind of dropped out of the picture about doing it. But my one friend, Bert, Bert um, and I said, we're going to go. So we went up and we actually paid our 17 bucks for the weekend, you know, package mm-hmm. ticket, you know. So I actually one of the people that bought a ticket. And uh, so we had the tickets and everything set. Bert volunteered to take his car, which I thought was a great idea. So I figured there might be some the car might not, you know, there might be problems with, you know, there might be. You never know what happened to the car. So uh, he was volunteered, and I mm-hmm. thought, that's great. And he had this beat up. Uh, he had a, a red Mustang convertible, which I know sounds great. But this thing was a beater. I mean, this thing had been through the wars. He got this used, and it was. It sounds better than it was, but it was still cool. It's still a car. It's still, it's still a Mustang convertible, right? So we took that up, and we were going to take that up. Now, everything was fine. I was eight, I was 19 years old. I was an adult, right, of age. I could just go do it. I didn't need anybody's permission. But, you know, I did have a good relationship with my parents, I, you know, and I was a, you know, I was a good son, good kid. And uh, so my dad was a semi-professional musician. He's a piano player. He played all the greatest hits of the 30s and 40s, you know. You know, I guess sit down and play for an hour and a half without stopping. <clears throat> and uh, so he got it. He understands music. And so I did. I thought, well, I just as a courtesy, I'm going to tell my dad, oh, by the way, Bert and I are going up to this music festival, and, you know, August, whatever it was, 15th or whatever it was. And uh, I wouldn't just didn't anticipate any problems at all. And except my dad said, you know, I don't think this is such a great idea. I don't think you should go. And, and I apparently he remembered being 19 a little too well and uh, himself. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was shocked uh, that he didn't think this was a great idea. But anyway, this was Woodstock is now three weeks away or so. And um, we have the tickets. I've invested money in this. And Bert is counting on me going. And, you know, I have to go. So my dad and I went the rounds for about 10 days. And, he, and we'd have this conversation almost every night. And he was intractable. And I was and I was. You know, I, I wouldn't give up. So one night, just I just happened to say, Dad, if you were my age and Louis Armstrong and Tommy Dorsey and Glenn Miller uh, were playing 150 miles from your house. And that's about as far as I, I literally that's as far as I got. And he just cut me off and he says, oh, oh, yeah. OK, go. But behave yourself. Yeah. But behave yourself. Yeah. Don't get in any trouble. I said, don't worry. I won't get in any trouble. And I, I didn't get in any trouble. I had some adventures for sure. But uh, yeah, and he, but he just, I just needed something that he could relate to. And so. So do you, do you still have the ticket stub? Of course not. No, I, I, but I do know what happened to them because, you know, I was in the mud and the, and the wet and, and the water and all that stuff, you know, and, and I had them on my, my, my jeans, uh, my Levi 501s. By the way, I was, you know, I was going to college out in the West. I went to college in Utah and, uh, and out there, all the kids wore Levi 501 jeans with the button fly, which didn't exist on the East coast in 1968 and 69, you know, they were gotcha. still wearing quote unquote denims on the East coast, you know? And so I was always unique in high school and college and high school and stuff back there because I was the only kid in the, in the, in our school that wore Levi 501 shrink to fit jeans with the button fly and all the guys found that button fly thing they couldn't believe that my pants had button flies i you know uh, i was more interested in what the girls thought about that but they didn't i didn't that didn't have i don't have any idea what they thought but anyway yeah. that was my kind of my trademark was those pants but anyway so i wore those pants uh, up there and up for, of course and 
uh, well, I remember coming home when I finally got home at the end of the weekend. And I remember taking those pants off and getting a jump in the shower or whatever. And the pants are filthy and wet and dirty and all that. And I'm cleaning out the pockets and I reach in my back right pocket and I pull out this crumbled up wad of, wad of cardboard. Because, of course, we didn't need the tickets. Right. They didn't, they didn't right, collect right. them. So I had them. And I remember looking down at them and they were recognizable, but they're all wet and crumpled and wadded up. And I thought, you know, maybe I should keep these. But it, no, I just and I remember throwing I threw them away. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. one of those kick me moments, you know, 20 years later. Well, you know? Quincy, luckily, history has been kind to you as the ultimate baby boomer. And you do have proof that you were there. And That's true. Let us show the audience. Uh, if you're listening in, uh, there's a Woodstock movie poster that's on the uh, video screen right now. And Quincy, you want to tell us where you are in, in the audience? Well, unless, sea you, of madness. Yeah, unless you're colorblind, I'm easy to find. Because if you look to the right-hand side of the screen and you see the guy standing up uh, with the blue T-shirt, the bright blue T-shirt on, that's me. Okay, I'm going to zoom in. There's Quincy yeah, right, right there. On, just on uh, the right audience. there with his holding my jacket and my other hand on my on my left hip with the, with the blue oh, shirt. Okay. Now let, let let's dig a little deeper, Quincy. You are there. Do you remember what you were thinking at that moment? Yeah, I, I think I think I got a zero. I mean, I don't know exactly when that. I, I mean, I don't have proof of when it was, but I have a feeling I, I it was when. I had, I had to get back. I had promised, I had a summer job that I'd had for five years, you know, and, and uh, they were nice. I was at the local small grocery store in my town. And uh, the, the manager, you know, gave, actually gave me Friday off so I could get up there, you know, and, and so I had Friday and Saturday off, which was unheard of. And, and of course, all the stores were closed on Sunday in those days. So that wasn't an issue. But I promised him that I would be back to work at eight o'clock on Monday morning to load the produce and off the streets of New York and set up the produce department with Frankie and Johnny, the two produce guys. So I had to get back. And, and of course the, the festival was running late and, you know, and the Bert who I went with was his main goal going up there was to see Jimi Hendrix, who of course yeah. was closing the whole show on, he was supposed to close the show on Sunday night. Well, this was Sunday at about, five o'clock rolled around and with all the delays we could see that Hendrix was not going to be playing anytime soon and he in fact did play at like nine o'clock the next morning hmm. uh, and uh, but I my sense of responsibility kicked in and I you know I said I I you know I got we got to go and he said no I'm not leaving you know I, I need to see Hendrix and I said okay mm -hmm. so I said well okay I'll see you at home I gotta go so I packed up my jacket probably you see there and the stuff I had on side hill where I'd been sitting for three days with some friends. We actually ran into some friends from our town as we were, when we got there and we, they already had a place to sit. So they invited us to sit. We were sitting about a third of the way up the hill. It's great seats, but I pretty much spent the weekend right there. And, and so I packed up what I had and we had, a, we had set up a tent about a mile or two away on the route 17, just on a, in a, in a, in a, in a uh, field with some other tents. And so I, thought well i'll just i said i'm just gonna go pick up a few things there and then uh bert if he, he said he'd bring the rest back in his car so i could travel light so i, I headed that way and you know it was like uh, watching a refugee movie from world war ii mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. with all the kids on the street heading back to home at that point they were starting to leave 
and except the the hair was a lot longer and the color clothes were a lot more colorful than they were in those World War II movies. So, um, uh, but anyway, I got about I walked about fifteen minutes and I thought this is ridiculous. The closest place is Monticello, New York, that has a bus station. I see all these thousands of kids heading that way. They're all going to want to take the bus, probably. A lot of them will. And then how many buses can there be from Monticello, New York, to New York on a Sunday night? You know? So the chances of me actually getting out of here on my own is slim and none. And so I thought, I guess guess I'm screwed. So I turned around, went back uh, to the hillside, and then... It took me about 15 minutes to figure out where the heck I've been sitting because it, you know, came in from a little different angle. And I think that's when the pic- answer your question in a long way. I think that's where that picture was taken because I think I'm looking for where I was supposed to where I had sat before. And uh, gotcha. and so I, I finally found it after another 10 or 15 minutes looking around in the where I thought was the vicinity. And the other guys were there, but Bert wasn't there. And I go, well, where's Bert? And they go, oh, well, you know. He got feeling guilty too because he had he had a Monday morning job too, and uh, he said he said oh gosh I guess I better get back too. So he said I'll just hustle back and I'll meet him at the meet him at the campsite while he's picking up, and so he and I crossed. He was leaving and I was coming back, so uh-huh. I hustled back to where we parked the car, and I found it, and all I found was an empty space. And I asked some people. I said, "Where's the guy with the red with the red car and the, the pup tent?" And he said, "Oh yeah, man. He just he just left about ten minutes ago." He said he came back and you weren't around and he said, I guess he's already, he'd already been here. So he just packed up and took off. So I missed him like by 10 or 15 minutes. Oh, so. <laughs> so how did you end up getting oh, back? Well, uh, Monticello, New York is 20 miles from Woods, from FL. And there's one mm-hmm. only one way to get there. You go down Route 17. It's a two lane rural highway, you know, up in, up in upstate in the Catskill Mountains. And I just started mm-hmm. walking and with the, with the rest of the people and, uh, I, I hopped on the back of a pickup truck at one point. I hopped on the back of like a 57 Chrysler with the huge fins. Remember those? Yeah. Uh, and which you could hang on to. And I sat on the trunk and hang, hung on for dear life onto these fins. And things only going 10 miles an hour. So it wasn't that difficult. So I did, I did get a ride part of the way, but I walked most of the way. And I rolled into Monticello at about uh, one, 12 o'clock at night. And uh, I found the bus station. And I thought, well, this is going to be like you know, refugee center, and I'll just stay here for three days till I think till I can get a bus. And I'll be damned. I walked in and walked up, the, found a ticket thing and found, got in line, got a ticket. They said, oh, yeah, there's a bus leaving at three in the morning. I said, you're kidding me. And so I bought a ticket. I couldn't believe it. I got a ticket to New York at three in the morning on this bus. Wow. And uh, so I jumped in the bus, proceeded to fall asleep, I think, and woke up uh, at the Port Authority bus terminal in Manhattan and uh, had to get over to Grand Central to catch the train up to my town, about 20 miles north of New York City. And uh, I first, that's the first time I realized that this has, was, a, has, was a big event because there was no newspapers. I, we, didn't have, we didn't have telephones that we called. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the, we'd hear an occasional announcement that, you know, we're, we're, we're in the news and this is like the, we're the, you know, the second biggest city in New York or whatever it was, you know, but we weren't really paying that much attention to that, you know, didn't know it was a his, historical event. And but I got in the cab, you know, with my duffel bag and my, you know, looking like I'd been drugged through the mud and uh, which I had been. And uh, and the guy goes, oh, man, you've been at Woodstock. And I go, uh, oh, yeah. He goes, oh, man, tell me all about it, man. You know, he's, he's, he's a younger guy. You know, he was all excited. He wanted to know all about it. I go, yeah, I was up there. Listen to a lot of music, you know, kind of rain. Had a great time. 
I mean, he was really impressed that I was there. And I go, well, maybe this was a bigger deal than I thought. And so I took the train up to my town. I walked the, I got there about seven in the morning and walked up the hill about a mile away to my house and walked in. And my mom and dad always had breakfast in the kitchen about that time while my dad was getting ready to go to work. And, and, uh, and he always leave right around uh, eight o'clock, eight seven forty-five, and uh, so I come walking in, and the screen door was open. And I mean, screen door was open, screen door was open. I just opened the door, and you know, the, the rule was, don't slam the screen door. I mean, how many times, thousand times, I heard that as a kid, right? So of yep. course, I so of course I walked in and slammed the screen door, and uh, <laughs> so my mom, you know, the, the 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 floor plan was like a square, where it was like a track running around the first floor. And so the kitchen was back at the up the far corner from the front door. And I guess my mom heard the, the screen door slam. And she said, it's got to be my kid, you know, with screen slamming the door. But she she came running around the corner. You know, I don't think her feet were touching the ground because she had they hadn't heard a word about it. All they'd been seeing was on the news about the hippie fest mired in mud, you know, and up there. And, and they didn't know if they'd ever hear from me. They thought I'd be like Charlie on the MTA that he never returned. No, he never returned. And uh yeah, there I was. And so she hit me with a crossbody block, essentially, is like I had just gotten home from World War Two. I mean, she was so excited to see. Me, oh, man. yeah. And so anyway, so um, and my dad said, hey, nice to see you. You know, <laughs> so, and uh, so I got ready and, and uh, went up, took a quick shower and, you know, threw away the Woodstock tickets, apparently. And yeah. uh, and walked down to the our town where the train station was for my dad to go into New York and and I just went to my grocery store and uh, fixed the produce department for the for the morning you know and of course the guys showing up there these guys who were all kind of you know cross-section of New Yorkers you know have been giving me all sorts of crap about going to up to with all the hippies up in the, to this music <laughs> festival and now I'm the returning hero I'm a celebrity you know so I spent the next three days you know, they'd say, you know, Mrs. Jones would come in the store and said, hey, you know, that my name was, my nickname was College Boy. Uh, they'd say, hey, College <laughs> Boy, come here. They'd say, you know, he was at Woodstock. Tell her, tell Mrs. Jones about your So I had to go, I had to tell all the matrons of our town, you know, about my adventures in, in, in Woodstock. So a special thanks to Quincy Stringham for sharing his Woodstock experiences. And I hope you enjoyed getting to know him. He's one of the best Boomer Buddies a guy could have. I'm Rick Reed for My Boomer Buddies Podcast. I want to thank you all. Please join us again. Tune in on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And until then, we'll see you around the block.